Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. My name is Reggie, and I'm so grateful to be a part of this service today, and I just wanted to talk to you about a few things. Before I kind of get into the message, I'd like to tell you a little bit about your church, um, because in our world, we partner with churches all over the country, and um, we get to meet staffs and leaders everywhere. And a few years ago, because of some circumstances in my life, I got to hang out here and get to know Michelle and Mike and your team. And our staff in Atlanta would tell you that we pray every day that there will be a church like Northridge in every community around the country. I know you probably are aware of how powerful and how strategic this church is in this location and in this part of the country. Um, But I just, as an outsider, wanted an opportunity to tell you that if there's a church that champions the next generation that kind of is a model for a lot of churches around the country, it's your church. As a matter of fact, we're going to start our Orange Tour Uh, in a few weeks, and we're going to go to 14, 15 cities around the country. We'll speak to 15,000 leaders everywhere, and uh, we're going to go to L.A. and Seattle and Dallas and Houston and Kansas City and Milledgeville. (laughs) And the reason for that is because you have an amazing team, an amazing group of people that really do make the next generation a priority. And uh, it's so great to see you guys here, uh, football team. Um, you probably don't realize this. You can probably tell, though, when you look at me that I played football in high school <laughs> up until the ninth grade. And um, <laughs> during my uh, actual, you know, summer camp football, uh, my coach came up to me. My coach said, when are you the coaches? My coach said to me, he said, Joyner, you know you're not any good at this, right? And I said, but I'm getting better, right, coach? He said, No. And uh, so he did something as a favor to me. He gave me a camera and said, you can be the the team photographer. You can still travel. What I didn't realize at the time, it was kind of a perk because I got got to actually, you know, travel, you know, on the cheerleading bus. And that was kind of fun for me. And um, so I was going, you know, all these games and taking pictures. And I have this one moment I remember that's just this interesting moment for me where um, our head of our yearbook, our annual staff, our annual staff editor said to me, you know, we're going to go to the homecoming game. We need to get you a picture for a double-page spread that's in our yearbook. It's going to say, we won. Those are the two words in the double-page spread, we won. You've got to capture the pictures and images that illustrate and demonstrate, you know, that phrase. And it's like any other, you know, homecoming game. You kind of set up where you're playing the worst team that you can possibly play because you want to make sure you win at least that game, right? So at that game, I was shooting every picture I could grab. I got the picture of two dads when, you know, the quarterback threw a touchdown and, his son scored. These two dads jumped up and gave each other a high five. I captured this picture. I got a picture, you know, of the cheerleaders, you know, at the end of the game after they realized that we'd actually won, jumping up and down, you know, and then I got a picture, you know, of the band, you know, passing by the other band bus. There was a band, actually a band uh, guy that kind of leaned out of the band and stuck his tongue out of the other, you know, I kind of got that picture. And then I went out down into the, you know, locker room where um, a couple of my buddies, Steve and Greg, Steve was the quarterback and Greg was the center and um, they were sitting in this locker room. I'll never forget this. And, you know, 
Greg had this kind of cleat mark on the side of his face with a little blood trickling down, and he was kind of leaning up against Steve. And I just snapped this picture of these two guys, and uh, right after I heard, you know, Greg say to Steve, we won, didn't we? And, and um, the next day, I was actually in the dark room developing film. If you don't understand what film is, film is this like plastic, um, in, anyway, it's kind of complicated. But I was developing this film and these pictures and I was looking at all these images that I had shot. And uh, I look at the dads jumping up and down and then I look at the, you know, the, the band and the cheerleaders and, and then I get to this one image you know, of the two players in the locker room. And there was just something about that image that was different. There was something about that image that just had a different kind of emotion and a different kind of passion. And as I'm looking at all these pictures, I kept asking myself the question, what is it about this picture that's different than the rest? And then it dawned on me. The difference in the picture of the two guys sitting in the locker room was they had actually played in the game. They understood the win at a different level in a different way because they had been on the front lines, right, of the battle, pushing the ball from one end of the field down to the other. And I just want you to know the only reason I came here today, the only reason I wanted to be a part of this today is to lean into you for a few minutes when you're talking about fighting for the next generation to remind you that you'll never understand what we're talking about in this series if you don't get on the front lines, if you don't show up in the battle. And, and I wrote this statement down because I know your church, I know your staff, I know your team, and I know this is their heart. And this is a statement I wrote down. And see what you think about this right here. The legacy of this church will not be measured by how many show up here, but rather how many of you show up in someone's life. Just to be crystal clear, this really isn't where the battle is fought. This is where you prepare, but this really isn't what the key is when it comes to what you do. The real test of this church isn't what happens in this room. It's what happens when you walk out the doors and you go into the real world and you decide you're going to take what you know and what you understand and you apply it. The real test of this series is simply this. Are you going to get in the game? Um, how you show up changes everything. And the truth is that some of you are here, if we had time to sit down and talk about this, some of you are here because somebody showed up for you. I mean, I don't know your story, I don't know your background, but chances are you are where you are because someone showed up in your world and life at a divine moment, at a defining time, and they actually leaned into you and they gave you the word, they gave you the message, they gave you the idea, they gave you the hope, they gave you the peace of forgiveness, they gave you the opportunity, right? So you could move into what was next. The truth of the matter is, if we had time today, we could all tell our stories about how there's a short list in our life of people who showed up and we are here, right? We are here because someone showed up for us. So the question is this, and this is kind of the, the challenge today. You were given a white card when you came in. I want you to take it for just a second. If you don't have a pen or pencil, you can do this later, but here's what I would like for you to do with this card. All I want you to do today is simply write down the name of someone who showed up for you. 
Somewhere along the way in your story and your journey, there's a name that needs to be put on this card. There's a short list that you have. And your job today throughout the course of this next week is to simply remember the name of the person who showed up for you. And I'm going to add to this in just a second. But this is important because I want you to understand some things about the power of showing up. Because the person who showed up for you, they understood some important principles that I want you to understand today. This first principle is this, and it's pretty profound. Your best chance to have influence in someone's life is to actually show up. I mean, write that down, because somewhere along the way, you're not going to have influence unless you decide, I'm actually going to show up. There's a statement you can only make by your physical presence. There's a statement that you can only make in someone else's life about their worth and their value by simply showing up for them at the right time. I love what Mike said last week when he talked about the story of Jehoshaphat and how he was surrounded by the army and how he had to prepare. And one of the most important things, and this is why this series started off with positioning you in a a posture of prayer and understanding that you have to tap in to who God is. And there's so much he said about this that last week that you should go back and listen to the message. And the part that he built to that I don't want you to fly past was simply that the prayer that Jehoshaphat was praying The simple attitude that he had of who God was was to set him up to follow what God's command was in 2 Chronicles 20, 17, when God said after they had prayed, okay, now take your position. You see, my job in this series is to lean into you and say, okay, by the way, it's time to take your position. It's one thing to pray. It's another thing to praise. It's another thing to worship. But what would the battle have looked like in the story of Jehoshaphat if they had only prayed and they had only worshipped and they had not gone to the front lines? Prayer is essential, but prayer doesn't matter if you don't show up. Somewhere in the context of this church, your legacy is connected to this simple idea that our mission doesn't happen in here. It happens when we walk through the doors. And the problem with that, and here's the the real issue, is for most of us, we know we're supposed to show up. We know we're supposed to invest in other people's lives. And when it comes to the next generation, every one of us in this room should have a role in showing up for a generation of teenagers and a generation of kids. The problem with that is we don't always see, right, immediate results in what we show up to do. If you're here in the room, for example, and you work with preschoolers, you have a preschooler, raise your hand. You work with preschoolers, you have a preschooler in your house. See, see, here's the thing. You're not going to have your three-year-old because you're showing up in their life or world or because you're showing up every Sunday morning and helping with the preschool. You're not going to have a preschooler come to you and say, hey, I just want you to know I understand grace so much more because you showed up in my world and life today. No, they're preschoolers, right? How many of you have a middle schooler in your house or you work with middle schoolers? Let me see your hands. Hold them up proudly. Okay, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You're not going to have a preschool guy come up to you and say, I just want you to know that what you explained to me today was so powerful. It was so profound. I am going to be a better husband one day because you explained this to me. No, 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 no. They're middle schoolers. You're not going to see immediate results by showing up in the life of a kid or a teenager or by being the parent you're supposed to be. Somewhere along the way, we've got to recognize that you can't always see immediate results and you cannot always see spiritual growth. When you're working out in football and you begin to build yourself up and you begin to get the stamina and the strength that you need to kind of go out on the field and play, you know, sometimes it takes a few months or it takes a few years before you get to where you need to get physically. 
The same thing is true spiritually. Let me me give you an indicator about something. You can't see immediate results spiritually. Sometimes you can't see spiritual growth for years. You know why? Here's the secret. This is powerful. You want to remember this. Because it's spiritual. You can't always see it. But here's the point. Someone kept showing up for you, right? Even though they couldn't see immediate results, even though they couldn't see spiritual growth, they just kept showing up because by faith they trusted that the seeds they planted and the things that they did would one day show fruit. It's just a principle. It's a principle that when you start showing up for others, it will change, it will change them ultimately over time. And also this, when you start showing up for others, it will change you more than it does them. I mean, I'm going to say some things here, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way, and I hope this isn't you know, offensive. I'm just going to be really, really honest because this is a big piece of this message today. The people who showed up for you learned some things about God and learned some things about life and grew spiritually, probably in some cases more than you did because they showed up for you and God did something in their life as a result of showing up. The truth is this. Your potential to grow is linked to how you care about others and whether or not you show up. I promise you this is true. Your intellectual emotional and spiritual growth is connected to your willingness to invest in the lives of others. And the reason I know that is this is because around this room, again, if we had time, I could introduce you to some seasoned leaders in this room. And here's what they would tell you. And don't ever miss this. They would tell you that they grew more when they got involved in ministry and started showing up for other people than they ever did sitting and listening to a sermon. They are living proof of a very clear principle in Scripture that discipleship is connected to our willingness to invest and show up and care for other people. You show me someone who's stuck spiritually. You show me someone who's unmotivated. You show me someone, even in your life, who has stopped caring the way that you feel like you should care and you're unmotivated, then I'll show you someone who has probably stopped showing up. And if you will start showing up in a different way, it will change the way you see the world around you. Now, here's a point. This is a principle that I I, I sometimes, I I hesitate to say it because I don't want to be offensive. But Andy, at, at North Point, we started North Point, every two years he would stand up and he would say something like this. If you've been going to this church for more than two years and you're not serving... We can't help you grow. Because we've said everything we know to say. We've taught everything we know to talk. There's just nothing else we can say or do. As a matter of fact, if you've been going here for more than two years and you're not serving, you might should go somewhere else and see what else you can learn. Because at this point in your life, you're not going to grow anymore if you don't get involved, if you don't get in the game, if you don't start showing up. You see, we sometimes don't understand the power of what this looks like and what this means and the potential of God to change us in this room because we're willing to show up. And when you start showing for, up for others, it will change you in a number of ways. First of all, it will change how you think about influence. You'll learn something about how you influence other people. If you get this right, sooner or later, you'll realize that you can't lead anyone unless it becomes personal. That when you get personally involved with other people, you know their name, you know their story, and you start investing in their life, it begins to change how you see influence and how you define influence and what it looks like to earn influence in someone else's world. I mean, it's interesting when you read the stories of Jesus. Jesus stepped into our world to get personal, right? On his way to save the world, he stopped and talked to a little guy who climbed a tree who was a tax collector, and he said to Zacchaeus, Today I'm going to your house. He couldn't do that for everyone, but he did it for one. 
He stopped at the well, talked to, 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 to Mary at the well and began to explain to her who God was. And he had this intimate conversation with this woman who was broken in a community and had a bad reputation. Jesus got messy when he showed up in this world. And somewhere in the world that we talk about in ministry, we've got to understand that if we're going to have influence, we've got to get personally involved with people in a different way at a different level. And the reason I'm here is just to lean into you and say, hey, hey, what does that look like in your world? Are you personally involved with people outside this, this, this building? Are you personally involved with kids and teenagers in their life? What does that look like? And, and I've had to learn some important things about influence in my own world in life. You know, we think we, think we have influence because we have power, right? We, we get lulled into this idea that when you get enough power in your world and life, you can have influence. It's almost like, you know, if you're a parent of a three-year-old, it's almost like you've got this three-year-old and you tell this three-year-old, stop doing this, that, go over there. And the three-year-old says no. And you say yes. And the three-year-old says no. And the three-year-old says, you can't make me. And you say, yes, I can because you're a big adult. And so you pick them up and you move them, right? Only problem is that three-year-old one day is going to be a 13-year-old. And you don't have power with a 13, an influence with a 13-year-old because you have power. Or we think we have influence because we have authority. Someone has put us, you know, in charge somewhere along the way. What does that look like and what does that mean? You know, in my, in my world in life, you know, I have to catch a lot of planes. I lost my license in California and had to jump a plane in California. And all, I real, all of a sudden I realized that, you know, <laughs> I didn't have my license. And so I had to go through this interrogation process to actually with the TSA to actually get on my plane. And there was this one moment in the process because the guy had authority. He said to me, okay, here's the thing. I'm going to have to put you in this room for just a second. And what I'm about to do to you is going to be as uncomfortable for me as it is for you. And he used the word cavities. And he wasn't talking about my dental issues. And he began to do things to me that were very embarrassing. And he could because he had authority. Or, or we think we have, you know, we, we, we have influence because we have success. I mean, this is an interesting story, and some of you can identify with this, because some of you are very successful. I can look at you and go, you probably had some degree of success, and you think because you've had a degree of success, that actually gives you some influence with people you should have influence with you with, but it's somewhere along the line, guess what you figure out, that success doesn't necessarily give me the influence with the people I need influence with. I mean, I remember when I was the executive director of family ministries of North Point Community Church for a decade. There was a period of time where it was the largest church in the country, and I was the executive director of family ministry. I work with people to talk about their families and parenting issues all the time. And I remember this moment with my 16-year-old daughter when I was trying to leverage my success, you know, to have influence in her life, right? And she wasn't responding to me the way that I needed a 16-year-old daughter to respond to me. And I had this conversation with her. And in the back of my mind, you can't tell me this isn't true for you sometimes. In the back of my mind, I'm going, you don't understand. I am successful. Parents come to me for these kind of issues and decisions. You should do what I say. But she was 16. My success meant nothing to her. You see, you think you have influence because you have power or authority or success. But there's another kind of influence I kind of want to unpack for just a few minutes. It's the kind of influence you get when you show up consistently over time. It's the influence that comes because someone trusts you. This is such an important principle to understand. Lasting influence is earned. And if you want to have the kind of influence in your son's life or a student's life or a kid's life, 
You've got to understand you're not going to have that because you're in charge. You're not even going to have it because you're right. You're going to have it when you decide you're going to show up consistently and you've earned trust in their world and life when you've cared enough to keep showing up. And when you show up for someone, here's something else that will change about you. And this is important. It will change how you care. This is such a, I wish I could just stop right here and talk about this for just a second. Because we have this thing that we sometimes operate off of that says, if I care, I'll show up. But God flips that around in a principle and God says, no, 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 no. Don't, don't wait to show up until you care. Show up and guess what will happen? You will start caring. This is such a powerful principle in life that sometimes we don't understand this idea that the thing that needs to happen in me ultimately to cause me to care about other people is I simply, as you know, God told Jehoshaphat, I need to take my position. I need to show up. I need to go to the front lines because when I go to the front lines, what I see at that moment, what I understand in that part of the battle will change the way I feel about the people around me. Don't miss this. If you don't care and you're not motivated and there's a burden and you're not sure what's happening to you and you're stuck in your spiritual life, please, 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 just test this principle. Start showing up in someone else's life like someone showed up for you. And watch how it changes you because the principle says this. Where you put your treasure, your heart will follow. So the real question is what's happening to how you care about people? This is such, a, such an important part because something happens when you learn to walk in someone else's shoes and you begin to understand their story in their world. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a word that I think, guys, it could probably be the most important word you could ever understand because if you could take this word and understand this word, it would change how you relate to each other. It would change how you relate to your parents. It would change how you get married one day. It will change how you work in a career one day. This one word has a powerful, powerful, powerful implication to it. As a matter of fact, when I look around in culture today and I look at what's happening in our political realm and I look what's happening in, in, our, in our country and world, I, I just say, say they need more of this word. And this word is the, is the powerful part of our Christian faith that we don't really talk about. But if you understood the implications of this one word, And what can happen to you if you develop this one thing in your life? It will change every relationship. It will change your future in a way that we don't even talk about and think about. I'm going to give you the word. When I give you the word, you're going to go, oh, that word. I didn't know you were going to give me that word. I'm not even sure what that word means. And for me as a communicator, because I'm a very insecure communicator, when I put the word on the screen, I need you to kind of lean in for a second and say, oh, yeah. So I feel like you're with me still this morning, okay? So I'm going to put the word on the the board. And I want you to understand how powerful this word is. And we're going to talk about it for just a second. Because the word you need to know is this word right here, the word empathy. Oh, but that was weak. Okay. (laughs) Because you know what empathy is? The lack of empathy is the reason some churches split. The lack of empathy is, is why some churches no longer have influence in their community. The lack of empathy is why some parents become alienated to their children. The lack of empathy is why Democrats and Republicans can't sit around the table and make positive decisions. The lack of empathy is the reason we have racial tensions in our country because we don't understand each other's story. One of the greatest qualities you can develop, the one, of, one of the greatest things you can model for the next generation is this idea of empathy, that you develop it as a leader. And the interesting thing about empathy is this. Empathy is not something 
that just automatically happens. It is developed. It's developed in the same way you work out and you develop your physical strength. You have to practice it. You have to learn how to pause your opinions, your mindset, your attitudes long enough to understand someone else's world. And when you start showing up for someone consistently, you begin to develop empathy in your life. Here's the definition I love to give. The ability to press pause on your own thoughts and feelings long enough to explore someone else's thoughts and feelings. Most of us don't have a pause button. We just want people to understand our opinion, our mindset, what we're trying to say. And the interesting thing about Christianity and our faith is God and Jesus taught us the power of pressing pause on who we are, our authority, our success, our opinions, because Jesus stepped on this planet so that we could understand that he understood. Don't miss this. This is so important. There are only two ways to develop empathy in your life. First of all, you've got to pause to imagine. The thing that makes you different, and part of the reason I believe that God exists, is because you are created with this amazing imagination to be able to imagine yourself in someone else's shoes. As a matter of fact, J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, says this, we are the only species that can imagine ourselves in someone else's shoes. We have this uncanny ability to feel something for someone else if we understand their world and story because we're created in the image of a heavenly father. You have to pause to imagine. There's no other species that can do that. And not only do you have to pause to imagine, you have to pause to interact. You have to pause to interact. It's your imagination and it's your actions that ultimately determine whether or not you have empathy. The reason I know this is true is because sometimes we just don't leverage what we should leverage when it comes to our imagination to understand someone else's world and their story long enough to enter into their world so that we can at least understand why they behave the way they are and why they live the way they live. And I, and I love talking about this because I remember when I was riding down the road one day with a group of college kids in Panama City Beach and it was hot, about 104 degrees outside, and there was a traffic cop at the corner of the, of the, of the street waving traffic with an attitude. I don't know you've seen one of those cops, you know, they're kind of blowing a whistle, make you feel like you're an idiot and, he, you know, rolling his eyes and telling you to go on. And, and one of the college students in the van actually said, what a jerk about the cop. And then I explained to the college students in the van, I happen to know that police officer. And I know that his wife got cancer a few years ago and his son was 16 and his wife died and his son actually left home in rebellion and this cop started drinking and the only job they could find for this police officer was to stay on the street corner and to wave traffic. And the van became quiet. And then I said, that didn't really happen, but it could have. I mean, we don't know. We don't know his story. We don't know why he's performing that way. But what would happen if we just put our judgments on pause and we decided, you know, there's probably a story behind the scenes that we should understand. And then we pause to interact. I love, I love what Brene Brown says about empathy. Brene Brown says this about empathy. She says, you know, empathy is different than compassion. Compassion is you're walking down the road and you see a hole and you look down at the hole and there's a friend of yours that's been stuck down in the hole all day. And compassion says, you know, you feel sorry for them, so you throw them a sandwich. You give them a little food because they're down in that hole, right? No, empathy's different. You're walking down the road, you see the hole, you see your friend in the hole, and here's what you do. You get down in the hole with them because you want to make sure that you're there with them and you understand their predicament and their situation in a different way. 
You get empathy when you pause to imagine and you pause to interact. That's what happens when you show up in the lives of other people. You say, where do we learn? Who who is the model for that? Who are the people that will demonstrate and illustrate that? I'm so glad you asked. Because 2,000 years ago, that's exactly what Jesus did. Right? He stepped on this planet. Look at this passage in Philippians. Look at what it says. Rather than humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests. Remember, you put those on pause but each of you to the interest of others. The reason some of you aren't showing up is because there's too many things in your life that are too important to you and you don't want to give up anything because there's things that you're interested in and God would come along and say, you know what, sometimes you have to not look to your own interest but each to the interest of the other people. Look at this next part. And here's what it says. In your relationships with one another, another, have the mindset of Jesus Christ. Imagine how Jesus imagined. Now what was the mindset of Jesus? Look at this. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Notice this. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He served other people. Now, don't miss this. He didn't have to. If anybody had the right to leverage his power to have influence, it was Jesus. If anybody had the right to leverage his power, right? His authority. I mean, he was right about everything. But he didn't leverage his rightness. He showed up to serve and to help and to get in the trenches and to show up on the front lines to get messy with other people. You know why? Because he wanted us to understand that he understood us and he wanted a different kind of relationship with us that was not based on his authority or power, but that was based on our trust with him. This is why it says, look at this passage in Hebrews, such a powerful passage in Hebrews. Notice this passage right here. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to what? Empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. You see, you want a model for showing up and understanding someone else's world? It's that story. The reason why I wanted you to take a card today and write down the name of somebody is because somebody became Jesus in your world. Somebody showed up for you like Jesus showed up for you. Someone demonstrated what that looks like. If I had to write a name on this card, you know the name I would write? Geneva Bray. Geneva Bray was born in 1893. You say, that's strange that you would write down someone who was born in 1893 on your card. The reason I would write her name down on my card is because when I was a kid growing up in Memphis, Tennessee, my mom and dad, who grew up in Wrightsville, Georgia, would drive back to this part of the country every Christmas, every summer, and I would spend the summers outside of Wrightsville, Georgia, in this little country house, in this little country Methodist church down the road on Highway 57. And it was such an interesting you know, scenario in my life as a kid growing up because when I would go to Bethel Methodist Church in Wrightsville, Georgia, and I would sit in that little church and I would look up, there was this lady, at the time she was about 50 or 60 years of age, who taught me Sunday school. And I learned so much about Geneva Bray in that context. I I, I learned that, you know, she'd spent most of her life, most of her life she had spent living without indoor plumbing, that she had once, because she was an artist, tied a duck to a table so she could paint it. Um, She never married because of a broken heart. She never drove a car. She went to college, but her dad, halfway through her college, took her out of college because his brother convinced him he was wasting his money educating a woman. And in her 50s, she hitchhiked back and forth to school 
to get the rest of her diploma. And she became a teacher in Wrightsville, Georgia for 40 years. And she lived through World War I, World War II, the Vietnam War. I mean, she lived through Apple computers. I mean, when you go down the, the story of her life, she saw so much change. And if you were to go to Wrightsville today, if you were to drive through Wrightsville and ask anybody, have you ever heard of Geneva Bray? They would all say, oh yeah, she taught me in the third grade. She taught me in the fourth grade. She taught me in the fifth grade. And I don't, I can't even imagine the number of people that she influenced because she showed up. But I know of one. Because there was a girl that was born to an unwed mother outside of town in 1938. And this particular girl was adopted by Geneva Bray's brother, who was the town doctor who had delivered this baby. And when this little girl was eight years old, the town doctor committed suicide. And when she was nine, her adoptive mother committed suicide. And they took this little girl back to that big white house in Wrightsville, Georgia. And they asked the family if they would take her. And they said, no, we don't have the margin. We don't have the finances. We don't have the money. And they were walking her out the door to put her in foster care when Geneva Bray, who'd never been married, who couldn't drive a car, is 50-something years old, said, whoa, whoa, wait a second. No one's asked me. I'll take her. can't control your emotions like you can when you're younger, just saying. <laughs> the reason I know that is because that little girl was my mom. Here's the point. Geneva Bray had no idea. When she built an extra bedroom under her house, she had no idea. When she cooked a steady diet of cream corn and fried chicken, she had no idea when she intimidated the boys that wanted to date my mom. She had no idea when she pushed my mom to make the grades she needed to make. She had no idea. She had no idea that when she paid for her to go to college, paid for her wedding, she had no idea that it would have a ripple effect on the faith of generations. This is a picture of my mom and all of her grandgirls and one grandson. We have a lot of strong-willed women in our family. <laughs> and when my mom passed away a few years ago, I started thinking about this story. I sat in this little church for my mom's funeral. I looked back at the back wall and there was a painting that had hung there for years that my Aunt Nene Geneva Bray had painted. And it was a painting of Jesus standing at the door knocking. And all of a sudden I remembered having conversations with Geneva Bray about this painting. It's kind of a strange painting. You've seen paintings like this. This is the actual painting that sits in Bethel Church. And I've always looked at it and thought, well, you know, I don't know how Jesus ended up in France, but somehow he ended up in France knocking on a door. And I asked Aunt Nina about it one day. I said, you know, you know, what is that picture about? And she says, oh, it's a picture of Jesus. And it's not really a house. It's really the door to your heart. 
and you just got to understand. I said, well, it doesn't look like you finished the picture because you didn't put a doorknob. She said, that, that's, that's on purpose because Jesus doesn't force his way into anybody's life. You have to open the door from the inside. And in my mind, I imagined my Aunt Nini explaining this to my mother when my mother was eight and when my mother was nine. The joke around my house is, because my mom had grown up in the experiences she had grown up in, that when she opened the door to Jesus to her heart, she forgot to close it back. Because everybody else who wanted to come in, she's always let them come into her life and into her world because she was wired that way. And the powerful part of this story is I asked my Aunt Nini one time, was it worth it? She said, what? Showing up for my mom. You were 50-something years old and she was eight or nine years old. What did that look like? And she said, I've never even considered that fact. Sure, it was worth it. Because when you open the door to Jesus in your life, you become a door opener. Right? You see, if you're a part of the gospel story, you got to do what Jesus did. You got to show up. And, and I just want you to understand this for just a second. This is so important. Because when you open the door to Jesus, you open a door to whoever God loves. And you know what's going to happen after today? You're going to run into somebody. God's going to make an impression on your life. And you're going to go, but I don't even like that person. And God's going to say, that's not the option. And when you open a door to Jesus, right? You open a door, don't miss this, you open a door to whatever God can do. This isn't about what you can do. I know some of you think, yeah, but you don't know. I'm not qualified. I'm not sure I can show up. No, this isn't about what you can do. Let me show you this picture. This is a picture of Aunt Nini and my mom. When my mom was nine, my Aunt Nini was 50-something years old. Now, let's just be honest. She doesn't look like the most relevant, cool person in the world. Neither do you. Stay with me for just a second. This isn't about what you can do. This is about what God can do through you. And when you open a door to Jesus, you open a door to wherever God wants to take you. You see, I don't know. I didn't know I was going to be in Milledgeville today. I, I didn't know I was going to be hanging out in Wrightsville a couple of times a month and volunteering there over the week. I, I had no idea in my stage of life, at this time in my life, that God was going to do that in my world. Because here's the point. When you open the door to Jesus, you become a door opener. Today, the invitation's simple. On the other side of the card, you've got to figure out who you're going to show up for. Because if someone showed up for you, you got to show up for someone. The measure and legacy of this church is not going to be measured by who shows up in this room. It's going to be measured by who you show up for in your world. If you're a teacher, an educator, if you're you know, someone who works with children on a regular basis, either at this church, with preschoolers, with teenagers, with kids, I'd love for you just to stand up right now. Just stand up right now, right where you are. The work you do is the most important work on the planet because you're on the front lines. If you showed up today and you were tired and you were wondering if it's worth it, I just want you to know it is. Don't stop. And for the rest of you, 
here's the reason why, and I'm done, you should show up. Because somebody showed up for you. Or maybe someone didn't show up for you. And you need to show up because you don't want something to happen to them that happened to you. Or guess what else? Some of you are in this room and you need to show up for someone because you want someone to show up for someone that you love. That's the invitation today. They're going to put a text on the screen, invite you to be a part of this. I don't know what this looks like. Some of you are going to go, but I'm too young. No, you're not. You guys over here, high schoolers, you need to be asking this question. Who am I going to show up for? Some of you, you know, your, your parents, you're saying, well, I'm too busy. You have no idea how busy I am right now. Well, trust me. If you want someone to show up for your sons and daughters, maybe you should show up for someone else's sons and daughters. And some of you are just tired. You're just like, you just have no idea I'm so tired. At my age, really, I've paid my dues. I've done my time. Make it sound like it's a prison sentence. I've done my time. No, your legacy's not over until you stop breathing. Show up. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at